You know what? Farting is just a part of it. Good pelvic health. Yeah, you gotta let it let it out. Okay, this is a very random thing, but I think there's merit to it. Okay. I have no science to back this up. I think the sounds of our farts can tell us how tight our butt is. Like the frequency? Like versus <laughs> Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you think about that, you know, essentially the visual of the anus is, you know, that balloon knot, like it's, those muscles are really holding really tight. You know, when you squeeze the balloon, it's going to be a higher pitched sound versus if the balloon neck is relaxed. Right. Yeah. So if you want a quiet fart, you have to be really good (laughs) at relaxing your butt. Yeah. Right. Like all those times you had to pass gas in class. Life skills that were. <laughs> I think that's the perfect way for us <laughs> to get started. I'm gonna spill my wine With everywhere. This podcast. Welcome to the Don't Beat Around the Bush podcast. I'm Addie Holzman. And I'm Haley Kava. And we're friends, moms, pelvic floor physical therapists and occasional hot messes who are here for real, uncensored conversations about all things pelvic health. Remember our disclaimer, we are licensed physical therapists. However, the content presented on this podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes only. Please discuss all of your healthcare decisions with your primary provider. Have you heard all the buzz on this WAP music video this week? I have. (laughs) If you're like Addie, when we were having a brief discussion about this earlier, (laughs) we had to clarify what WAP actually stands for. So if you're in that group of people, I'm here to tell you that it stands for a wet-ass pussy. (laughs) And you would probably get this if you listen to the lyrics (laughs) because it talks about that. (laughs) The whole song. Anyway, so this cultural uh, news topic this week kind of brings us into lubrication, sex, arousal, which is in our realm of pelvic health. Yeah, I think one of the topics that when you go back to your OB or you talk to your even your pelvic floor PT and you're talking about bladder, you're talking about peezing, not peeing your pants when you sneeze. You're talking about, you know, have your stitches healed or is your how your C-section scar is healing? Is this conversation of returning to sex uh, after having, not only after having kids, but after an injury or just in general, being able to have more open conversations with our healthcare providers about sex? And some of those questions may revolve around the wetness of your vagina and what what does that mean or not mean about your pelvic health? Right. I think, um, you know, we have this common idea that if we are wet, we are ready for sex, we want sex. However, our degree of wetness does not match our degree of desire. So that can be flipped both ways. You can be wet and not want to have sex or you can want to have sex and not be able to get wet. Mm-hmm. You could be wet and it not be cervical fluid because right now it's a bit warm in here. <laughs> <laughs> We're surrounded by sound curtains with no air conditioning. And it's a little it's a little warm. <laughs> Getting a little it's, damp. It's definitely not an an arousal an arousally based thing. <laughs> Yeah, in like after a workout or like, or just randomly go to the bathroom and your like underwear has some some discharge and it's like, what what is that? Was that sweat? Was that cervical fluid? Was that what was that? And the yeah, I'm reading a really good book, the the period power, the period power book. Um, it's awesome and it talks. It has a whole chapter on what your cervical fluid means, like what it's doing at certain times of the month in your cycle. Um, When you're ovulating, its job is to help the sperm get there. So it's more like slippery and um, fluid. And then it turns to more sticky to kind of stop sperm from getting 
up to the egg. It's just super interesting. And then depending how old you are and, you know, like you dry up yep, as you get older or postpartum moms often get dry because their estrogen is really low. Mm -hmm. And so that can cause problems Mm -hmm. with sex because you don't want friction on a dry vagina. That does not feel good. Potentially pushed a baby out of it. Yeah, that's that's, that's healing, not and good. that is kind of nervous, and is a little self conscious, and all of those things are going to, you know, play a role in that. Um, yeah, I think it's um, prolactin, which is the hormone that we need to produce uh, breast milk. As that goes up, estrogen kind of inversely goes goes down. Not that that we need to know that, but it's just yeah. interesting. Um, and so a lot of times. My patients will say that as they start to wean, that 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 balance starts to starts to come back. So, so how do you like to help people support that lack of of wetness um, in that postpartum period? What are your kind of go tos? All yeah. the lube <laughs> all day long. I use lube all the time, and I don't probably need it. Now, as much as I probably did newly postpartum, but it just feels better. It feels so much better. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, like we don't think about that. And it can make a huge difference, especially if, you know, you have prolapse or something where you're trying to like decrease the friction mm-hmm. um, or tightness because you're trying, you know, to shove a penis in a tight opening and then move it in and out really fast. That's not going to feel good if it's dry. Mm-hmm. So lube a, is huge. Do you have a preference on types of types of lube? I look at ingredients. So I try to st- nothing scented. I mean, that was like our 20s. That was fun. It was great. <laughs> that was like the only thing that was <laughs> available and all we knew, right? It probably caused a lot of yeast infections. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so we stay with like the clean stuff because what's in your lube um, is going to get absorbed in your vaginal tissue and, and get in your system. And a lot of like the more fun lubes that have flavors and fragrances and all that um, are irritating and toxic to tissue, and that is not going to feel good either. So especially if you have sores, like if you do, um, you know, for whatever reason, if you have an infection or whatever, Mm -hmm. if you have any kind of tearing, putting, you know, flavors and scents on that is not going to feel good. Mm -hmm. So we've done yes, yes, yes. I think we're on to slippery stuff right now. Mm -hmm. I like them both. I think slippery stuff is a little more thick. Mm-hmm. Yes. From what I remember. So like the big categories are what your water-based lubricants, your um, silicone-based lubricants, and then like oil-based lubricants. So you kind of got your three three categories. Um, water-based lubes, though, even though we'd think that that's maybe the least irritating of all of the types, it really does depend what those additives are. So the big um, additives that are irritating are going to be things like, yeah, the glycerin is a big one that you want to watch out for. Um, and then the the actual pH of the, of the lubricant is really important. Um, and that's something that we don't always think about. So our, our vagina is very acidic. And so you want your lubricant to be just as acidic as your um, vulva and your vagina because that helps keep your own bacteria and your own biome doing what it's supposed to do. Um, And so if we now take this lube that's really basic, so the opposite end of of acidity. Yeah. (laughs) Um, pH. that can kind of screw up how your own bacteria keep that infection risk down. So that's really important to consider is kind of that pH, uh, the additives, um, glycerin, and and then the osmolality. Um, And so basically it's just a fancy word for is it um, equal to the amount of water to electrolyte as like your own tissue. So is that going to draw moisture into your tissue or is it going to draw moisture out of your tissues? 
things you think (laughs) you never thought about when choosing a lube in the aisles of Target. Mm -hmm. And so pH plays into that, and it's like the other stuff that goes in there. So if it's like just water that may have, like, or it's essentially water, it's going to probably match your that that's osmolarity osmolality a little bit better um but say it's like full of glycerin it's full of other things now that actually can be more drying so i think things uh lubes like you know your astroglide and your ky's like those big name big name brands that are kind of out there and people would just kind of grab because it's the quickest thing to grab can actually make that dryness worse um which we nobody needs. So, mm-hmm. here's a question. Mm-hmm. So, shower sex. Okay. I don't find water to be great Mm-mm. lubricant Mm-mm. if we're in the shower. Because well, there's other stuff in water-based lubes. True. Okay. Because, like, water, I find, actually, like, doesn't feel great. I don't know. Yeah, because it's, it's not providing any, um, like, friction-reducing properties. Yeah. You know, it's not oily enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's where like uh, and it's going to and even if you did have a water-based lube, say in the in the shower or in like uh, whatever, is that it's going to wa- wash, wash away. away. So yeah. that's where something like silicone or or oil-based lubes are going to be stay in place a little bit easier. The flip side of that being that's why those are can be more irritating to a more sensitive vulva or vagina because they're harder to get off once you're done. Okay. Yep. And so then that just sometimes will create an environment that's going to be a little bit higher risk for for infection. So what about condoms? Because that's a big consideration. Yeah. I think if they're like pre-lubricated, you know, that knowing what's in, in that... And then knowing if you have sensitivities to, um, like, latex or latex alternatives. Um, yeah. And choosing a lube, you don't want oil-based. Mm-hmm. That's gonna... It's been a while since I've used a condom. Yeah. Yeah, that would be, a, that would be good to kind of review some of the information on that. Because I know, like, I've had patients say that that like with condoms that they're they're it's more irritating and i'm not sure if that's just a lack of oh, proper yeah. I lubrication hate condoms. i hate condoms i think there's like, a lot of crap in condoms yeah so it's like all the stuff that's in there and also more friction almost i feel yeah, like like you have to, to use them. more lube yeah. i feel like the natural skin on skin um makes the lube last longer Almost than the condom on skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you're in plus your own natural, like then then it's not maybe creating a barrier for your own natural lubrication to do what it's supposed to do. Yeah, yeah, it's probably I would say it's probably like a combination of the condom itself not accepting lubrication as readily, and then just the irritation of your own skin that happens from. And I also think it's somewhat psychological. I know, for me, if he had a condom on, it wasn't as, I don't know, it was just something that it wasn't as personal. Like, Mm -hmm. I wasn't connecting with him as well. Mm -hmm. But when we were, like, baby making, I mean, the idea of making babies was a turn on anyway. Mm -hmm. But, like, just skin to skin and being, like, no barrier, Mm -hmm. that mental piece just kicks in. So maybe it's, you know... Yeah. Natural lubrication kicks up without the condom. For sure. I th- but. Yeah, totally. I, yeah, they're not comfortable. No, they always hurt. And I don't. I and, don't know. and so I think. But I think in a lot of cases in terms of sort of what the if kind of circling back to um, this music video and and women's sexuality and women discussing their their sexual desire in like what they want in bed and what turns them on and and so a part of that empowerment is having good contraceptive options and mm-hmm. having good things that protect women against STDs and really if 
you don't know what where your you know what your partner your partner's history right that that's sort of your your option yeah i'm not like dumping on yeah. condoms right but i no, mean but they really. do <laughs> they, they are do essential in many situations <laughs> they do what they're supposed to do but yeah no i totally agree that they they kill the, the vibe and don't feel good so luckily we have other options um you know, as far as birth control, which is also in the period power book. Mm-hmm. It's like a whole chart. It's awesome. I love that book. You need to yeah. read it. Yeah. And um, I think, but I think even that birth control conversation that never comes up is that is the implications on your ability to naturally lubricate your vagina. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That whole, that book has a whole chapter on the pill and I know that I went on the pill, I don't know, I must have been 16, for, like, painful periods. That, and then, like, my vein self-acne, right? Like, right, I had, totally. like, two pimples. <laughs> and I was like, I need to go. Oh, I think that's, pill. like, it was, like, half of my <laughs> high school was, like, it was myself included, like, oh, my gosh, I'm getting zits now. Yeah. Give me. Crazy. And that that's the first thing that. That was, like, recommended. Yeah, no questions asked. It was was nowhere close to being sexually active at that point or understanding my period or understanding any of it. Yeah, it was scary how easy it was to get on it. But I can see the flip side, too. The period power book goes into all of the things that we were never told. I wish I had it right here so I can reference all of it. Um, There's sex hormone binding protein or something along those lines. Um, and it messes with it. I don't even know where it is. It messes with it. And so this protein that kind of mops up all your extra estrogen and testosterone so it doesn't like start doing havoc on where it <laughs> doesn't need to be. Um, people who were on the pill for five to ten years had ex- access of this horm- or this protein binding molecule in their body like after they got off the pill and it can like mess with your hormone levels and it can mess with your desire and scooping up all your extra estrogen yeah so it can make you depleted okay okay. yep and so it was really interesting and then another thing is that um the pill is a endocrine disruptor Mm -hmm. and so our water filtration systems do not filter that the molecules or the components of that out of urine so the more people like in your area that are on the pill everyone is getting that endocrine disruptor in their water and drinking it isn't that crazy Mm. like it's so crazy and so yeah yeah, just like things that you were never told so whatever birth control you decide to use Make sure you do a lot of research on it. Yeah, ask the questions. Yeah. and um, I know Dr. Jolene Brighton mm-hmm. on Instagram is amazing for anything related to birth control. Mm-hmm. Um, or the pill, specifically. I think she talks a lot about hormones and how they're affected by birth control. And it's really eye-opening. Well, and I think growing up, it's this idea of, like, I don't really want to understand my period I just want to it to not bother me and to not <laughs> right. interrupt like if I have like a sporting event or if I have a thing I don't I want to be able to control it and manipulate it by <clears throat> continuing to take you know not taking the placebos or whatever um which is a whole other you know conversation but I think if having been empowered with more information about the why it's important for our hormones to rise and fall in the way they do and how that we can capitalize on that and optimize that for better health and better function and better abilities. Um, how cool would that, how cool oh, would yeah. that be? Right. I think, yeah. um, I don't know a ton about it, but I remember reading a story about the women's uh, soccer team and they train this? around they, their like, cycle. All were like tracking their cycle mm-hmm. on this app, and then they knew what days to like maximize muscle growth, and what days to take it easier, and what days were like higher injury risk days because like, right before ovulation, ACL risk is higher. Like all of those things, and really like hacking that 
is really something that I think has been lacking in research and lacking mm-hmm. in just information um, forever. And so yeah. it's um, it's kind of exciting that that's the that's the new frontier of understanding our bodies work. Yeah, because most research has been done on men mm-hmm. as far as like athletic performance and da 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 da. Um and so it's just women have too many variables. They don't want to deal with it. They don't want to like have to like track your cycle and like factor that into their research yeah. and da 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 da. Right. Yeah. But the period power book goes into it breaks down your um cycle like not everyone is a 28-day cycle, but it generally breaks it down to seasons. Your period starts when you get your period, right? Or your mm-hmm. cycle starts when you mm-hmm. get your period. So that's winter. So that first week when you have your period is your winter. And that goes into your spring when you're feeling good and, you know, you're getting energy mm-hmm. back and whatever. And then it goes into your summer when you ovulate and then your fall when you're gearing up to have your period again. And it goes... It gives you like pros and cons of each season mm, and cool. exercise considerations like, you know, like high intensity or maybe you want to back off a little bit and do more lower intensity or, you know, um, you're likely to like PR or perform really well um, in your spring, I want to say, because you're like recovering with the hormones. So it's super interesting. Mm-hmm. And then Stacy Sims, I hope I'm getting her name right. She wrote Roar which is another book I'm going to read. <laughs> but she's more all things athletic performance and hormones. She has a TED Talk on it, um, really cool stuff. She talks more about menopause and what that means for middle-aged female athletes, just really awesome things. Mm-hmm. So, like, cool. and I'm sure a lot of the research that, like, the soccer team and all that comes from her because she seems to be, like, the guru. Nice. And leading researcher in oh that. Gosh. Like when we were in college, I had a um, coach who was Chinese, just stereotypical kind of Chinese coach. And so would try to broach difficult conversations with a group of like, you know, 19, 20 year old girls. And his one conversation that he'd always have was girls, pregnancy is real. <laughs> it's real. Is real. As if to, like, just illustrate the, like, you know, the sex talk, I guess, with us in his own way. Like, how do I have this conversation? Maybe they were required to have a conversation about preventing pregnancy. I'm not sure. And so we were all like, yeah, yeah, Jing, like, we got it. <laughs> Don't Thanks. have unprotected sex. Cool. <laughs> then the other conversation would be like, very awkward, awkward conversation about how we shouldn't, like, mess with our cycle by using the pill. Mm. And I remember us all being like, we totally all do that. Why is he telling us not to He was on to something. So maybe he knew more than, than we he did. He knew. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, Haley was a college volleyball player. Yeah. All four years, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Syracuse? Yep. Yep. And Addie so. competed in track and field mm-hmm. and two-sport athlete or? In high school. I did one season of indoor track and ruined myself, and that was, I was done. Yeah. Too much training. Yeah. <laughs> and then Ash and I had to give all my attention to Ash. <laughs> Long-distance relationships. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. So it's crazy, like, how, and you can feel, like, through your cycle, how different you feel in your workouts. Once I get my period, I'm ready to start killing it again. You know, like the fall, which I'm in right now, I'm just like, nope, nope, nope. I don't want to work out at all. 30, almost 32 weeks pregnant. And I'm like, nope. And I've been like, nope, this whole time. (laughs) (laughs) That's totally fair. The baby, making the baby is the workout. That's all the hypertrophy. (laughs) <laughs> oh my goodness yeah it's so crazy hormones are like and we we don't even know the half of it i mean there's so much about our bodies that we don't know like mm-hmm. nobody knows yeah. but it's fun to keep learning so sex yeah we got <laughs> so we had like How hormones we, we've been in 30 minutes 
<laughs> we haven't even really talked about sex. Well, we started about talking about. Okay, let's let's circle back again to whatness. So we we kind of talked about how you can be say different hormonal phases of your cycle, different phases of life, whether that's postpartum and enter into intercourse into sex and not be wet. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't always mean that you're not aroused. Mm-hmm. And so I think this image that we get in the you know in the media that oh if I don't have this soaking wet pussy that I'm not into my partner and so then it's like I think it's wet ass pussy <laughs> technical term I, don't, I know, I know. <laughs> wap <laughs> I learned that today <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm so old. we were talking earlier and you seemed like you were unsure, and it was just very funny to see your reaction when I was like, Addie, it's wet ass pussy. The que- why didn't I look that up earlier is my question. I was just like, WAP, huh? I don't know. Like, what Well, you think the music for? video where there's like flowing water coming down? Mop it up. Like, I'm like, what is going on? Oh, my goodness. So you don't have to have a WAP to have good sex. Right. Or to be ready for sex. Yeah, and that, and then vice versa. So you could totally have a wet ass pussy, and not be into it, and that's okay too. Mm-hmm. It is a sign of arousal, it's a sign. but that doesn't mean you're aroused. That doesn't mean that you're asking for it. That doesn't mean you want to have sex. Um, yeah. Yep. I think that's all we need to say about that. And communicating that to your husband or a significant other or whoever mm-hmm. is important because I think they really take it as a sign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because so, so that's I, what they were taught. I think that's also where it like kind of comes back to lube. It's like, let's just normalize lube. I love lube. Yeah. It's great. I mean, it was awesome postpartum, but we like, I still like lube i mean makes those quickies a lot easier when your kids are knocking on the door yeah not gonna lie about that (laughs) nobody needs like an indian sunburn nobody needs (laughs) no one's got time for a chafed crotch no so just don't yeah have that conversation don't be intimidated by lube so many good lube companies are online. You can just order it. Um, yeah. Some of my favorites are like Good Clean Love. Oh, yeah. That's a good um, one. Uh, Natalist has like a fertility friendly lube that's water based. Yeah. Good Clean Love, Natalist. Who else? Slippery so, stuff I like. It is, um, it does have some other things that like Good Clean Love doesn't have, but it is glycerin free and has a good pH match with our, with our vagina. Our vulva. Uh, what are some other good water-based lubes? The Silk brand does have glycerin, but it is matches in that osmolality. And so evidently that's good. I haven't used that one enough to know for sure. And so if you have any other favorite water-based lubes, let us know. Do you use oil at all? Oil-based it's like just a mess. Actually, I actually really like silicone based lube. Okay, I have a question about silicone though. Mm-hmm. Isn't it not the healthiest ingredient? I don't know. I haven't done research. It's I had It's not really I my impression is that it's not really absorbed that much. Okay. I don't, I'd have to look at the ingredients list. So my favorite silicone based lube is Uber Lube. Okay. Um they send pelvic floor PTs samples all the time. And so that's kind of how I got into it. But I find it's just a nice option in that that postpartum period and kind of in maybe perimenopause, early menopause, because it just lasts a little longer. So you don't feel like you're constantly looking for more and more and more. Is it thicker? Aren't silicone based like thicker typically? It's thicker, but it's slipperier. Slippery stuff is I'd say fairly thick. It's definitely not as thick as slippery stuff. Okay. And it like, I think I'll get you some. You can try okay. it. The, cool. um, yeah, it just lasts a little longer. It's not com- 
compatible with silicone toys. So if you're using mm. silicone toys, and I believe not compatible with um, latex alternative condoms. Okay. So like a latex free condom. I did a like a yeah. I remember your that. stories on it. Um. So I'd, I'll good stuff. take a look back and make sure that I'm right on that. But so if you're using toys or using a latex free condom, that's not going to be your best option. But really, it does just stay slippery longer. Oil-based lube is going to probably stay slippery even a little bit longer than silicone. Um, but it's not acidic. Okay. So well, that can actually, mess things up. So neither is silicone-based lube. But I feel like the silicone-based lube doesn't stay on your skin as readily. It's it's just a nice in-between, I think. So it it's a little easier to clean off. It doesn't get all over your sheets. The silicone stuff. Yeah. Um, and so it's not going to be, I don't think, as disruptive to that biome as, like, oil-based lube. That being said, like, there are antifungal and antibacterial properties of something like coconut oil. So Coconut is a brand that I've heard about, but I haven't done a ton of research on, that is supposed to still be supportive of that vaginal microbiome, but it's more slippery than than water-based lube. So there's all sorts of different options, and I think the key is experimenting. And I like to give people like a whole bunch of different samples. Usually I'm like shoving them in people's purses as they leave. I'm like, just tuck these in your purse. I'm giving them like pictures of sex positions and like yes. lube. And I'm like, just try all of these. And then usually the people will like find which one they kind of like best. Uh-huh. And then they'll come back and be like, can I get some more of this? Or can I yes. get more of this? And everybody's a little bit different in terms of what they feel like they like. Also maybe that their partner likes. And so... I think it does take a little bit of trial trial and error for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. What's your other biggest sex tip? So we got lube. I think I'm going to be a little lame and I'm going to say <laughs> it's going to be about communication. It's not lame. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's I... not like a magical position or anything like that. I'm not, we're not big like toy users really. I think the biggest thing in like recovering our sex life postpartum was really like having to have some really honest conversations yep. that we never had to have before having kids because it was just too easy. Then in that postpartum period where you don't feel good in your body, you don't feel attractive, you feel like your vagina's all out of whack, you feel dry, you, you're tired. Tired <laughs> AF. That's like, I think the worst, like... I am just tired. So we, I'm going to be up all night with this crying baby. Mm -hmm. The last thing I want to do is like sweat. (laughs) Yeah. Or feel like you're on the clock. Yeah. Okay. It's nap time. We got half an hour before the baby's going to wake. Go. I would say like where, what was better for us was almost nap times though. Yeah, because you have more energy then. Yeah, because like the end of the day, like no forget way. it. Even now, as soon like as, yeah, as morning, soon as I like get great. into bed, like kid is asleep, I'm like, get me in that bed. Yeah, get me a show on Netflix real quick, and I'm gonna pass out. Agreed. Yeah, the communication part is really important because the, the your partner doesn't know how you feel. I mean, they've never experienced it. They don't know how it feels to go through birth and recover postpartum. They may not even know the lacerations happen during birth or any of that, depending how involved they are. And so you have to talk. I mean, I've had various people tell me like, oh, yeah, I probably should tell them that it hurts. Yeah, you should tell them it hurts. Yeah, you should tell them you don't like that position or that you need more foreplay or you want him to do this yeah. or that or her, you know, whatever. But, like, it, it, you have to communicate. I feel like that's the most important part of being successful, getting back to pain-free, enjoyable sex mm-hmm. postpartum. Well, a tool that I use a lot that... A lot of sex therapists use, and then we are absolutely not sex therapists by any means, but a tool that was recommended 
to me and to that I recommend to lots of patients is called Sensate Focus. You heard of? Yeah, that? you told me about it's it. It's like a, it's like I it's call, good. I like call it like a sex protocol mm-hmm. essentially, where you know you have knee surgery, you get your exercise protocol on how to return to exercise. So this is sort of your sex protocol in terms of, and it's not really about sex. It's about regaining intimacy mm-hmm. and and really what what is sex but like sort of the most intimate thing you can be doing with your partner but it can also it can it can feel really mechanical postpart especially when you're busy not even necessarily postpartum it's like all right this is just something that i do i don't enjoy it there's very little physical contact check the box there's very little intimacy <laughs> check done and um yeah, that's that doesn't lend to like a uh, not necessarily to like a really bonded mm-hmm. relationship with your with your partner. So so anyway, basically, it's like I believe it's I'm going to totally butcher this. I want to say seven steps or six steps that goes over like step one is like lay with your partner in bed fully clothed just talk to each other it's like oh, no touching right no touching. no touching allowed and i think part and then it's like step two is like you can be in like semi undress and you can touch each other but not in an erogenous zone so like no breast touching or butt touching it's like you mm-hmm. can touch each other's hands or you can touch you can give each other a foot rub it puts a limit and honestly i think it's like are all of our like instinctual thing to like want to break the rules and now you've come in both come into this agreement of like okay we're only going to do this and then that just kind of builds this adolescent desire to like break the rules Mm -hmm. and I find a lot of people don't necessarily make it through all of the steps but I feel like it provides a bit of a safety net so Mm -hmm. if you aren't ready to move to that next step it's not you saying I don't want to do this yet it's the protocol. The protocol. <laughs> the protocol said we can't move to this next stage yet. And so it just it helps everybody feel really, I think, safe and like protected and be able to and then just opens that avenue for, for communication. So I definitely recommend Sensate Focus for sure. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Um yeah, so communication, huge. It seems like a no brainer, but it it's goes missed so many times well, and I mean, I think, it's skipped over and i think for for men or some partners it's not linked emotionally or it's just a commodity or it's just a it's just a thing that you do and that i don't know yeah and there's men and women have different drives for sex so this is that sex book mm-hmm. that we were just talking about yeah. what is it called brain sex And so women are geared towards, like, finding a mate who's, like, committed and will help raise the young. And we, as childbearing humans, have way more to lose um, if we get pregnant and then lose the mate. Like, financially, socially, you know, you think of all the things that we need surrounding us as we create and birth and raise kids, so we have a lot invested and we only have so many number of eggs. Like we, you know, channel so many resources into childbearing. Whereas men, like this is not like talking about marriage. This is like very animalistic mm-hmm. <laughs> view on sex. Yeah. Men want to, and not just like human men, but like male species in general, um, want to spread their genes everywhere. So the more genes they spread, the more variety in the species, the more they're passing down their genes to, you know, young, blah, 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 right? So I think like that kind of it's I read that book like 10 years ago and it makes sense why like women or, you know, females want they have more of a drive when they're ovulating because they're getting ready to like possibly, you know, support a pregnancy mm-hmm, and they want mm-hmm. to fertilize that egg and get pregnant and whatever, or our bodies do, even mm-hmm. if our minds aren't there. So it just makes sense that in men, like their hormones don't fluctuate a whole lot either. 
You know, they're pretty like even keeled. Nothing really changes. They don't go through cycles. And so having sex is just they're just programmed to have sex. Their sperm is worth nothing. Like you go to the sperm bank and you masturbate for 50 bucks. Whereas women, if we're like a surrogate, we get what? Thousands of dollars. So it's just a difference in the the resources and the roles of reproduction Mm -hmm. and all this stuff. So on a very animalistic level, it makes sense why they just are more programmed to have sex and they don't have a lot of hurdles. Whereas, you know, we have cycles, we have pregnancy, we have raising young babies that interfere with sleep. We may be the ones that are exclusively feeding them and that have to get up in the middle of the night and all this stuff. So there's so many interesting factors into like that yeah, sex drive they're so, so complicated it's crazy so that and that so the fact that it doesn't even get asked mm-hmm. at a doctor's appointment right is gotta change yeah yeah or and then you know we can't always expect the system to change so we need to be able to be advocates for ourselves and say all right, let's, can we please, like, you know, even if it's just your well woman check, just your regular yearly appointment to be like, actually, I'm having some pain with intercourse and... No, I'm not just going to drink wine beforehand (laughs) to numb the pain. Gosh. (laughs) No, I want to fix this problem. So this is a legitimate suggestion that I think every pelvic floor PT has... Yeah, every pelvic floor PT or mom-to-mom friend or whatever has been told by a healthcare provider that if sex hurts after having a baby or any time, oh, just have a couple of drinks and, like, what the actual? <laughs> do you know how, much, how offensive that is? That's pretty, that's pretty bad. Like, yeah. Do a dr- like, do drugs. Mm-hmm. Essentially. That actually make your pussy less wet. (laughs) No WAP. (laughs) So you're actually going to be less, have less of a WAP. (laughs) So, like, instead of, well, why do you think that is? Or, like, let's have a, yeah, let's have a conversation about your biology and your physiology that may be uncomfortable for you, the provider, if it's uncomfortable for a provider that is a GYN or is a primary care provider, they need to reevaluate why they're doing what they're doing. I think part of it is it's they hear it so often, maybe, this is complete speculation, that they're so numb to it that it's almost like normal. Like they expect pain with sex newly postpartum and they maybe they don't know the resources. Maybe they don't know pelvic PT can help with that. Maybe they don't know what to say or how to like guide people because that's not really their specialty. So like if everyone's coming into you and you're a gastroenterologist and you're like every person's coming in and saying I've got crazy diarrhea and you don't know how to help that person. I get it. I know where you're going. If you're a GYN, if you're a pelvic floor PT or a primary care provider, and you have patient after patient after patient coming in telling you that sex hurts them, then learn about it. Yeah. (laughs) Or on the flip side, maybe maybe moms just assume that sex is going to hurt and maybe they don't consider that a symptom. So they don't bring it up or they don't ask questions. They just assume it'll resolve at Mm -hmm. some point in time. Who knows? why this is a problem but it's a problem sex should not hurt there are resources out there um, that is a specialty of pelvic pts to help you with that or even sex therapists if it's more like a the a, emotional yeah the you. relationship part of it who, whatever there are resources out there sex should not hurt period S- period sex and, should be and then like yeah like then the next yeah the next <laughs> sentence is like sex should not hurt sex should feel good mm-hmm and I think like that's also the like if the if they're asking about sex, they're not asking about orgasms. Mm-hmm. Maybe, but I I doubt it. Yeah. So yeah, so I can tolerate a penis in my vagina, and not cry. Right. But how often am I? But does it orgasm? feel the same? Yeah. Can I can I have an orgasm 
whether that's internally or externally? Does it feel like it used to? Does it feel as as strong? Does it feel as good? Those are mm-hmm. all signs and symptoms of possible dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And so that helps us build this sort of story, build the understanding of how that pelvic floor is functioning or about maybe pelvic organ position or about lots of different things that yeah needs to be a part of the conversation and knowing this is going to be like probably a whole other podcast but um knowing yourself which is talked about a lot of these books and you talk a lot about Mm -hmm. on instagram like knowing yourself you have to know yourself like in the period power book the stats on women not knowing or ever seeing their anatomy is mind-blowing yeah like knowing where where is your clit what is that youtube video the vagina booth where oh, like they yeah, put yeah, yeah. yeah the vagina booth on youtube i'm yeah it's like a youtube you video look, so i like i feel like even for myself like i didn't like explore what my vulva looked like mm-hmm. before having cam really mm-hmm. and then like once he was born then i was like looking well I don't know if this looks the same as before right, because I really didn't to have like a to. great baseline. But yeah, that we should be familiar with our anatomy. Um, also, like just like we do breast exams mm-hmm. to like make sure we're noticing changes, whether that's in our breast tissue or if there's lumps or if there's discolorations or there's dimpling or something. Same thing for our our vulva, mm-hmm. right? Like I've had a couple of patients where like you identify a freckle. Or a mole on on their perineum or in their labia or wherever that's like looks a little questionable. I'm like, hey, did you know that you had a freckle down here? And then they end up having to like go to the dermatologist and having it examined and potentially removed because it's a like a risk factor. So so that's part of like our general health. Mm-hmm. That's like good to know, but it's it's definitely something that people don't. Well, we've been taught to hide and not talk about stuff, and not like society is built on like keeping those that area secret and mm-hmm. da 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 da. Right? Like you know, periods are gross, and some societies take their menstruating women and put them off to the side mm-hmm. until they're done, and. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. So I think it's very rooted in society. But if you don't know your own anatomy, you don't know what feels good, you don't know, mm-hmm. then, you know, if your partner is having trouble getting you aroused or orgasming, then you aren't, you know, if you don't know, then neither of you know. But if mm-hmm. you know, you can instruct them on how to do it. Yeah. And both of you are going to be more happy because I guarantee, almost guarantee, that they will be more satisfied if both of you come versus just like them coming all the time. Yeah. It's like they get yeah. satisfaction out of like Knowing, pleasuring yeah. you. So yeah. helping them do that or at least communicating about that is huge. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I have like this memory of like after Cam was born, eventually, you know, the first time I felt comfortable having sex again after he was born and like being so worried not only was this going to hurt, but, like, was I going to be able to enjoy this the same way? And that was literally something that, like, never crossed my mind until probably that moment was, like, am I going to be able to orgasm? And then, like, that Mm -hmm. realization was, like, kind of scary. And I think that if it hadn't happened or we hadn't had that communication of, I'm a little bit nervous about this, like, right? (laughs) how is this going to go? And then... Because what's going to happen when you're nervous? Yeah. Your pelvic floor is going to tighten up. Yeah. (laughs) And so, and so then, like... I just, yeah, I distinctly remember that being like, oh, shoot, like, what if, what if I can't do this anymore? Yeah. And then, like, what does that mean? That's why I became a popular PT. <laughs> yeah. The mind is so involved in the whole process. And I feel like every time that I've worried about pain, I found it. You know, like, the more I worry about it, the more I find it. And so when I go in to, into sex thinking, okay, it's going to be okay, we'll take this slow, whatever, whatever. Then your body relaxes and then you're like, oh, this feels good. Okay. And then it relaxes more and then like Mm -hmm. you get into it. But 
the times that I've sat there and worried about it, it's like everything clams up and tightens up and then you have more friction and more um, tightness of those pelvic floor muscles and then it may not be mm-hmm. enjoyable. Mm-hmm. But Yeah, I think another thing that comes up is this worry that like whether it's you have children or not, is this also this perception that a vagina should be tight. Yeah, which is right? interesting. Like, I like, do you remember hearing stuff like about people in like high school and college about girls who are like quote unquote loose? Yeah, the term. Like they were loose. They had sex all the time. They were yeah. like, you know, and then there would be derogatory things about yeah. like, oh, it's like shooting a hot dog down a hallway. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, first of all, ew. <laughs> <laughs> Second of all, that's not how it works. Yeah. But I think those thoughts and those insecurities definitely just live in our public floors. And so then, yeah. yeah, so then we may subconsciously or consciously be trying to tighten our public floor muscles because we want to feel like our vaginas are quote unquote tight. But what if that tightening is making everything worse? Right. So if our if our clitoris needs to maintain like fullness, just like a penis does, like an erection. Mm-hmm. And and you're imagining you're like clenching your fist or clenching your pelvic floor. We can't keep blood in those arousal areas when we're keeping everything hold, held really tight. We need to kind of pump those those muscles and release them and then tighten them. And so being able to just know how our pelvic floor works and know how our vagina works and also just tell that high school person, like, <laughs> if that's how it feels, then... It's probably that your penis is really small. <laughs> yes. I don't know. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, let's make it about you, not me. <laughs> like, like my is... vagina is just fine. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The tightness and tone, um, I've experienced changes. So even four years postpartum, if I've done a really hard workout or one time it happened after I ran like five or six miles when I wasn't used to that mileage. It felt really tight because our pelvic floor is responding to all the things we're doing. It's involved in our workouts and it's involved in our daily life. Like it's muscles supporting our body and our posture and pelvis and all that. So if if you're having pain randomly, it could be like something like that where you had a hard workout or you're really stressed or you're tense or something like that. But it's very interesting to me that that's never been one of my sex problems, but it's happened a few times where it feels so tight and it doesn't feel great. I'm like, oh, this is why people have, like if they have chronically hyperactive pelvic floor muscles, this would not be comfortable Mm -hmm. to do. And I've had patients be who have chronic pelvic pain or um, vaginismus or like that sort of involuntary like tightening of those pelvic floor muscles that makes it impossible to tolerate intercourse Mm -hmm. be told by providers oh my gosh this is the strongest pelvic floor oh i hate that oh your husband must love this pelvic floor that's ridiculous first of all like Ew, I guess. Yeah, like, why are you saying stuff like that? And this is a, a huge source of pain and, and distress and discomfort to this person. You're not listening. No, you're not being empathetic mm-hmm. or understanding the pelvic floor at all. Because, like, the example I like to give is, like, our upper trap muscle, right? It is a muscle that does generally hold tension in it. And if someone comes up to your upper trap and, like, squeezes it as hard as they can, it hurts if that muscle's really tense and, and tight. Mm-hmm. And so being able to relax it as someone's maybe giving you a shoulder massage, it starts to, like, not hurt. But imagine you could never let that muscle go and that person was digging in so hard, it's going to, like, bruise it and it's going to get sore and it's going to hurt. And... It's going to feel worse for days afterwards. And so if our pelvic floor is like just constantly tensioned and toned and tightened, continuously trying to get something in there is not going to be helpful. Right. You know, it's a process of, of learning how to release those, those muscles. Mm-hmm. And I think 
that tension in pelvic floors is a misconception also after vaginal births, right? We The perception is like, oh, I've had a baby. Us all must be totally like loose and those muscles are, you know, just gone. And I feel like a lot of the pain that women have in that postpartum period is related to not weakness of those muscles. There may there may be some underlying imbalance mm-hmm. and a lot of muscle tension and guarding that's causing a lot of causing a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and other kinds of pain with sex, like the prolapse, mm-hmm. was one that I had experience with, and it it's like a pinching. Mm-hmm. Like every time they go in, it feels okay because everything's being pushed in. But as soon as you pull out then like the tissue can get kind of pinched as they're pulling out. So put that on like speed and it's like, ow, (laughs) like what's going on? So prolapse, for anyone who doesn't know, is when either our bladder or our cervix or rectum is sort of descending into our vaginal canal. And so with penetration into the vaginal, into the vagina, um, what Addie's referring to is like probably that what bladder, like cystocele, which yeah. is the bladder, or even just the interior wall. If there's any laxity there, mm-hmm. which I think is what I had experienced. Yeah. Um, but then, like if organs are descended and if the penis is pushing or um, hitting mm-hmm. things, yeah, like a low com- cervix or whatever it is, that can be really uncomfortable too. Mm-hmm. So um, thinking about yeah, just the different kinds of pain you can have like the tightness and the prolapse i think would probably or like pelvic girdle pain which symphysis pubic pain that joint in the front is also something i experience and if that is not (laughs) if that joint is you know not supported in a balanced way by the muscles or there's a lot of shear going through it then that could be painful too or positioning we need to do like five episodes just on sex because there's so much yeah positioning communication tips um so anyway yeah it's there's a lot of things involving sex and there's a lot of help out there and there's a lot of things pelvic floor pts can do like exercises inhibition stretching trigger point release breathing strategies hip control oh yeah and then like going out you know yeah Balancing the muscles and movement and range yeah. of motion and I think so so Addie and I both practice a type of physical therapy called postural restoration. And that's sort of our toolbox, would you say, that we oh, kind yeah. of put all the of framework. our all our pelvic floor tools in. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of both of our clients are surprised that we do like to look so much outside of the pelvis mm-hmm. um, because I think when, especially with pelvic pain, especially problems with sex, is that we then get so obsessed with the pelvic floor when maybe the pelvic floor is the victim of tension in other areas of our body. Not that that it doesn't deserve to be addressed and that there's not really good information and really good treatment that we can do directly to the pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. But um, the body's but, so integrated, but it's so interconnected that sometimes we do. We have to look away from the pelvis in order to make sure that we're not missing triggers, we're not missing um, things that are driving imbalance or driving tension that live out outside of the the pelvic floor. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because there's studies linking jaw pain with pelvic floor issues. I mean, there's. You can't take a part of your body and separate it from everything else. Everything is communicating all the time. All the parts, all the systems, all the everything. And being that the pelvic floor is so inter- like integrated with breathing, and breathing is something we do all day, every day, our whole life, <laughs> then you can see why it's so important to address all of the things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're going to probably have to do more episodes just on sex. I don't think we beat around the bush too much. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Wap. <laughs> we got some straight, <laughs> straight, to straight talk to all the things. Um, so, yeah, our goal for this podcast is to have some really candid conversations sprinkled with clinical pearls or tips that we have used 
um, just to start basically like the big goal is to start to talk about pelvic health and all things pelvic health because there's not enough talk and um, there's so much to learn and there's so much to be aware of. And it seems that the, you know, the wake up call to learning about that is kind of pregnancy and having kids. It's a huge shift. And I think the movement is that overall women are seeking to know more about their their bodies and know more about their bodies in a way that they can kind of wrap their head around and understand and then be able to have those conversations with their their providers and advocate for yes, their own advocate. Um, for their own treatment and own support. So so yeah, any like questions, comments, concerns Message us. us. We'll yeah, we will. <laughs> we will Still iron out all the kinks <laughs> as we get into this. Um, we're just so excited to dive in and get it started and mm-hmm. sit in our little sound cave. <laughs> What's like a cool like vagina name that we could call this place? The canal. <laughs> this is the sound canal. <laughs> or the womb. <laughs> the womb. I like the womb. This is the womb. <laughs> It like it's feels hot. like womb. I'm sweating. <laughs> it's hot and dark, and you can't really hear a lot outside these headphones. So yeah, it's like our muffled. Kids are probably destroying Addie's house right now. <laughs> totally <laughs> worth it. Are not probably paying close enough attention to them. <laughs> um, but yeah, so if you have any topics that you want us to talk about, send them our way, and we will. Talk about all things pelvic health. Nothing is off limits. Nothing. You can communicate with Addie and I both in regards to the podcast questions, comments, concerns, topics that you want discussed on our podcast Facebook page, Don't Beat Around the Bush podcast, as well as our email account, which is Don't Beat Around the Bush podcast at gmail.com. You can also find our podcast on all the major podcast platforms. So please subscribe, comment, and share all the bushy love. You can reach me, Addie, on Facebook under my business page, New Me Physio, or my Instagram handle, Addie Holzman. You can also find me, Haley, on Instagram at PT. It's probably pretty obvious that our episodes are edited and produced by Addie and myself. <laughs> and our music is provided by Blockhead. So, like, we can unite all of the, like, don't beat around the bushers, the people who listen, like, the five yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> like, our parents. I hope our parents no, God, don't no. listen to this. Please, we, no. we need to put, like, a specific warning. If you do not want to hear about our vaginas, do not listen to this uh, podcast. I mean, I pee on my Instagram, and my parents look at that. I'm not ashamed. It's true. Do they want to hear about your sex life? No, probably. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, maybe we're getting to that point in life. I don't know. <laughs> sex ma- means grandbabies. So yeah. yeah, they're into it. <laughs> you know what's so funny is that, like, my mom and I and my sister, like, never, yeah, we, we, like, we never really had deep sex talks. Yeah, me neither. Or even really about, like, periods and whatever. Like, this is a tampon. There you go. But like as we've got all gotten older, it has like started to come up. And I think it's just because this is also like what I do. And and then it generally like in a really interesting conversation. But, you know, 15 years ago, that was more more. That was not happening yet. Right. Hopefully that was enough <laughs> beating of the bush. <laughs> Hopefully relax your butt. Have a good day. See you later. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Unclench your balloon knot. <laughs> a balloon knot? Have you ever called it that before? Like your anus? I know what you're talking about. <laughs> but you, do you refer to it as a balloon knot? Bobby and I used to watch uh, Workaholics all the time. Have you seen that? No. It's like a comedy, I don't know what... Comedy Central maybe show, and they always like talk about tight butthole, like 
you're being so loose butthole, you're being so tight butthole. Do they call it a balloon knot? I think that's where we heard it from, because <laughs> they would talk about buttholes a lot. But Your belly button kind of looks like a butthole. <laughs> We're getting off topic. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, we need a closing line. Um, we'll have to talk about pregnant belly buttons, because mine's doing some <laughs> weird stuff lately. I listen to, like, a murder podcast, and, like, the only sign-off that's stuck in my head right now is theirs, so I need to get it out of my head. I know. That's what, like, I have a podcast I always listen to, and that's what I'm thinking of, too, but it's not going to work for us. What's that sign-off? It's something like, from two moms who have no idea what they're doing. I mean, it does apply to us. <laughs> we not, know a little bit. Not in a pelvic health way. I hope. Uh, <laughs> Bush. George W. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just thinking of like word association. Bush. Trimming, shaving, waxing. <laughs> or just like, we'll see you next time. Or we'll, we're not going to see nobody. <laughs> yeah, we're all stuck inside. Don't forget to water your bush. Love your bush. Just love your bush. Love your bush. Share your bunch. <laughs> Share. Subscribe to it. Feel your bunch. <laughs> Just... This is ridiculous. <laughs> know your bush. To know your bush is to love it. What should we, like yeah, like the people who listen, the people who listen are the bush people. Those people. Those are like indigenous people in Australia. <laughs> the bushies? <laughs> the bushies. <laughs> yes. The shrubs? Ooh, that's more trimmed and like sophisticated. The shrubs. <laughs> <laughs> the topiaries. Whether you're, you have a bush or a shrub. <laughs> Whether it's a wild holly bush. Or, or trimmed, I don't know, unicorn, any kind of other bush. Like a little swirly one. <laughs> Dear God. Um, I like the shrubs, though. I like that. I would rather be a shrub than a bush. Right. <laughs> Wouldn't we all? They're all good. All sizes, all shapes, all colors. This is it. It's coming to me. Remember... No matter the shape, the size, love your bush. All bushes are good bushes. <laughs>